Questions or need advice for all the aches and pains in your life? We've got you covered. This is Stock Talk with Hans Olsen on 97.5 and 1280. The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. Nobody cares about me. It doesn't matter if I'm on this show. It matters who else is on this show, and it's Dr. Peter Chalmers. Dr. Chalmers, welcome back. Yo, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me back. I can't believe it, man. Another episode of Doc Talk. We'll get it done. Brought to you by University of Utah Health. An opportunity for you to call in and ask any medical questions that you may have in regards to your body and what is going on. I know all of us at some point, you know, we strain an Achilles or we have a foot issue or our neck hurts or shoulders are sore and we can't figure out what it is. Maybe you're a biker or you're a skier, you're coming out of winter season, and you're still hurting, well, that's what Dr. Chalmers is here for, to take your questions and see if we can figure out what's going on with you. You call in 855-340-9663. You call that number. You don't wait in any lines. We don't make you get any of your insurance cards out. You just ask your questions, and we see if we can give you a couple of thoughts and point you in the right direction. Plus, we kind of like to hear the different injuries, like – this is one of my favorite aspects of Doc Talk. Um, you know, obviously, Dr. Chalmers, myself, we come in, we give you an hour, and really, it's it's encouraging to me, and I love to hear the stories, and Dr. Chalmers loves to help. So whatever we can do, please call us. Let's see if we can figure out what's going on with your body and what, what, what you're dealing with, what type of pain you're dealing with. 855 Dr. Chalmers, are you following the NBA Finals at all? Of course, of course. Yeah. So you're watching people drop like flies? Uh, can you can you believe it? No. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable to think that you get to the pinnacle. You know, you're just your final seven game series, and it's like, well, one Hall of Famer goes out in Kevin Durant. Oh, a t- second potential Hall of Famer goes out in Clay Thompson. Oh, I forgot to mention that a potential Hall of Famer in Demarcus Cousins was already out and is finally coming back and. I can't believe the bad fortune. When you have bad fortune across the board like that with a team, do do owners or coaches start looking at the physical training staff or the or maybe the weight and strength and conditioning coaching staff? Do they start like raising an eyebrow, like what's going on with us here? We're plagued. I, you know, certainly things like these they're coincidences. You can't blame training staff. Can't blame strength and conditioning, but. It certainly, I, I think in a situation like this, people start to point fingers. And um, you certainly wonder in players, you know, like in a team that's gotten to this level, how much have they put into the regular season? Did they need to put that much in? You know, now that they really need it, you know, should we have done more during the season or to protect those players? I, I, I personally think this is just coincidence, but, um, but yeah, you certainly wonder, you know. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins dealing with a string quad. He's back on the court. Looked horrible last night. Looked really good in game two. Give me kind of the, the thought on a string. Well, sorry. His was an actual. I think it was a tear. It was a tear in the an quad. actual tear, yeah. Uh, how did he. You can come back from a torn quad in a month and a half? It seems quick. It seems quick, but he looked good game two. He certainly did. He's a, you know, he's a big guy. And then um, he's he's had he's had his share of injuries in the past eighteen months. Um, I'm glad to see him back, but um, you'll be you'll be curious to see what happens with him in the off season. 
And then obviously the news coming down the line just before game three that Clay Thompson was eligible but being held back. He said that if there was any pain that the training staff was going to keep him out of that game, and obviously he didn't play. Well, I've heard he is tough, so I you have to believe there's something really going on with him, you know? So the a, a strained hamstring, is that completely different is than a partial tear? Does that lead to a tear? Why, why do you hold him out if he's got pain? Oh, certainly those kind of things exist on a spectrum, and oftentimes a strain can be a muscular tear. The problem there is that once you develop even a micro tear and there's a little bit of hemorrhage in the muscle there, if you don't leave that time to properly heal and have those muscle fibers kind of relaminate in the proper orientation, that can become a nidus for future injury. So I think that's the main concern here is that it's not just like a you can play through it with no future consequence kind of thing with a hamstring strain. Okay, so is that the same with Kevin Durant and his calf? See, that's a real question for me. I mean, when he went down, it almost looked like he tore his Achilles, and he's been out for a while now. So off of a calf strain, you'd think he'd be back sooner. I mean, I, I, the hope is that he's coming back. I hope for his sake it's nothing big, but you wonder. Could a calf strain lean to, lead to a, a, towards a, a torn Achilles? They really should be separate. They really should be separate injuries, but it kind of depends on where in the calf it is. If it's more towards that musculotendinous junction, you start to worry, yeah. So anytime you strain a muscle and you put it to the test, does that lead you more susceptible to tearing to a complete or partial tear of the muscle? And what's the difference between a strain and, and a partial tear? So, those again, those things kind of exist on, on a spectrum. There can be a strain that can be just an accumulation of inflammation, but probably every time you talk about a strain, you're talking about some tear, some micro tear within muscle fibers, some ripping apart of that kind of usual interaction you have between actin and myosin that really allows your muscle to contract. And certainly that, that, that may or may not be something you can actually see on imaging, but probably exists to, to some degree every time there's a strain as some degree of partial tear. We'll jump out of the phone lines in just a second. Rich, we'll start with you. Give me just a minute. I've got so many questions with what's going on with the NBA Finals. I could sit here for the next hour and lob these questions at Dr. Chalmers. So when you're dealing with muscles and tendons, a, a strain in the tendon, is that as dangerous as a strain in the muscle? Or a partial tear in the tendon, is that as bad as a partial tear in the muscle? Um, generally, we think that muscular strains and tears have a much higher healing rate than tendon mus- tendon tears. Um, there's a there's substantial differences within those tissues and their ability to heal and regenerate. Um, and even within tendons, there's great heterogeneity. Some tendons have a much greater ability to heal than others. Um, and obviously, that, that depends on how much of it is torn and whether there's kind of a continued continuity of the overall architecture so that so that you can have tendon collagen fibers laid back down into that in the same length, or if there's a tear and there's retraction, that's obviously a different issue. That's often what occurs in the Achilles. Dr. Chalmers, one of the respected staff members at University of Utah Health and obviously works with all the different sports programs through the University of Utah, also with the Utah Jazz, working with some of the top athletes in the country right here in the state of Utah. And I'm just, I'm just curious – when you're dealing with a muscle strain, partial tear, or tear, is there imaging that oh, gives yeah. you the exact measure oh, of yeah. that tear? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is you that can, is that an MRI only? Uh, you can see it on MRI. Sometimes you can even, depending on where it is, see even, even more clearly with ultrasound. Um, and there are even more advanced imaging things that we've talked about doing with kind of um, 
really what we're doing right now is MRI and ultrasound, to be honest. Um, but um, there are other things coming down the line. So when you take the imaging mm-hmm. and you say to a guy, you got a partial tear, does it come down to his ability to, to deal with the pain? Or do you then re-image, see how much that tear has re- repaired itself, and then allow him to go back? Because um, now it's become about the, the doctor suggesting to get back on the court. That's what Clay Thompson said. He's, he said it's completely out of my hands. Right, right. And that, can, that totally depends on the nature of the tear and which, what, what's torn. Oftentimes it's, it, it can be driven by symptoms as the player recovers. Um, but, you know, in a high-level athlete like Clay Thompson, there's certainly going to be repeat imaging to make sure things are progressing as expected. 855-340-9663 to jump on Doc Talk. Have a chat with Dr. Chalmers. That's 855-340-9663. Everybody out there deals with some type of pain, some type of injury. Maybe it's your kid that's dealing with the pain or injury. Let us help you figure things out. 855-340-9663. Rich, you start with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead, man. Hey, Doc, uh, and thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Uh, so i got a question. So I, I'm at work, and I just, you know, I think I have an issue with, with tennis elbow. It hasn't been diagnosed from a physician. I was, you know, just kind of a nagging, uh, but pretty uncomfortable pain on the outside of my elbow. I, I didn't know what it was. I was kind of sitting there on my elbow. My, my work, my partner at work walked, walked by and said, hey, what's, what's going on? I said, oh, my, my elbow is hurting me. And he pushed it like right where it hurts, and he said, "Is it there?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's right there." He says, yeah, that's, "That's tennis elbow. That's lateral epicondylitis. I've got I've got golfer's elbow, medial epicondylitis. It's been hurting me for about two years." Uh, and I'm just wondering what you know. I've looked online. I've looked at different stuff. But I, you know, I, you know, resting it. I don't want to necessarily take naproxen or ibuprofen for the rest of my life. What what can I do for for what I think is is tennis elbow how long has it been going on for now um for me it's probably been going on um probably a probably a month or two my again my partner at work he said it's been bugging him for a year and a half or two years um you know i, I, I so so a, a little while for me uh, much much more so for my buddy at work the vast majority of the time um Lateral condylitis will get better. So your your friend at work, who I feel bad for, is uh, is an outlier. Most of the time, by twelve to eighteen months, this will resolve. So this tennis okay. elbow, this lateral condylitis, is is a is a degeneration, a tendon with the medical term is a tendinosis, within one specific tendon that cocks your wrist back up, kind of towards the rest of your arm, and um, it's it's uh-huh. extremely uncomfortable. So I I feel bad for you that you're struggling with it. The good news is it is not dangerous. So it does not cause any long-term problems. Again, it almost always goes away in the space of 12 to 18 months. And um, some people, once they hear that, they say, oh, so doctor, you're saying it's not dangerous and it'll go away. They say, that's all I need to hear. I'll just deal with it and, um, you know, we'll just wait for it to go away on its own. And that's there's that's okay. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. I will tell you that this is this condition, you think to yourself, well, if I just rest it and let it heal, it'll, be, it'll get better. Because that's generally true with the rest of the body. You really can't rest your way out of this condition. You could you could put your arm in a cast and not use it for six weeks and take it off and you would be right back where you started. So I definitely would say do what you'd like. Just know that you'll pay for it and that it'll be sore later, but that you're not doing any long-term damage and not making the condition take any longer to heal. There's a ton of stuff that we do for this because it's painful. 
you know, there are specific injections and there are specific um, braces and therapy. And there's even some more high-level things we're doing now where from the through, through a, a small poke through the skin, they can take that diseased area of tendon and incite it to heal. Um, and you can do that with ultrasound or you can do that with growth factors. Um, there's even some people now using um, Botox within that muscle to try and offload the tendon. Um, that's kind of a more experimental thing. The good news is this is a condition that almost never, ever requires a surgery. So of all the things you could have in life, it's not a bad one to have, one that gets better on its own, doesn't require surgery, and is not dangerous. So that's that's helpful here. So where it's a chronic situation, and mm. let, let's say it's just not going away, and you mentioned a lot of different techniques, where do you typically start for a pain tolerance or management? By far the first thing that I would do um, is there's a brace for this. And it's actually really effective. It's called a counterforce brace. And it's a strap you wear around kind of your forearm right below the elbow. And you, there's a little enlargement in the strap, and you tighten that down right over that tendon. And then when you flex your wrist, it pulls through the strap instead of pulling through the diseased tendon. That's actually been shown in multiple studies to be very effective here. You can get it over the counter at Walgreens. It costs like 10 bucks. So I would. that's the first thing I would do. Okay. Have um, you tried that, Rich? Yeah, I bought one of those on eBay, and maybe I didn't give it enough time to this. Well, it came with a sleeve, like a compression-type sleeve, like an Allen Iverson-type sleeve, you know, and then that that band that had that, that you know, extra, you know, bulk kind of right below your elbow. I mean, maybe I just didn't wear it long enough. Uh, maybe it was too loose. Maybe it was too tight. I don't know. Um, maybe I just need to wear it a little bit longer. I would definitely get, um, the, for, that, for that sleeve to be effective, you have to kind of tighten it down. So the best way to do it is to get one that has its own strap there instead of being kind of, an as you mentioned, the Allen Iverson kind of compression sleeve. And then the next thing to do is find the activities that bother it the most and just wear this for those activities. If you try and wear it all the time, it's hard to really get it tight enough to wear all the time to really be effective. You know, Dr. Chalmers, in our time doing Doc Talk and in, in, in our years doing Doc Talk, and I think we're, I think I'm, I'm year six or seven now doing Doc Talk, I'd say that the elbow tendonitis is number one, if not number two, to the plantar fasciitis. When when just taking collars and, and dealing with a, a symptom and an injury, it seems like this is extremely common. Do you, do you see Ten, this a lot? 10% of the population suffers from this. 10% of, of people before their death will have this in one or the other elbow. Can you believe that? It's so common. What, what do you see it as the, as the most common cause of it? So... I have a theory, not proven, but this is what I think. So this is basically the way your arm works. When you reach your arm away from your body, there's a you, you the weight is in your hand, right? Yeah. And you're using your deltoid muscle at your shoulder to raise the arm. Right. All of that tension goes through your elbow. And it goes through this one specific tendon that you're using to raise your 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 wrist up. So like when I, you know, pick up a coffee cup and hold it out here, yeah. you're putting tension right through that tendon. And that tendon's a wimpy <clears throat> It's, it's like a wimpy, thin little thing, and I think it just can't handle a lifetime of that. Oh, I see. So that's, I, that's my personal thing is that there's a, that tendon is at a biomechanical disadvantage, and that's the reason why it happens in that one specific spot and nowhere else in the body. Hmm. Rich, anything else we can answer for you? Uh, what, what, just out of curiosity, I mean, let's say it usually goes away in a year, 18 months-ish. What is it that, that makes it go away, just not using it because it's hurting and so it just kind of heals on its own? Or what is it that, that happens to make it just heal all by itself? 
Um, I don't know. I think that probably what happens is that your body rebuilds that tendon that's diseased over time. Why that takes twelve to eighteen months, I don't. I don't know. But that's um, just the common. That's, that's just the common number of it, huh? Yeah, that's the common number, and the 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 commonality is that it doesn't last forever. That it does go away, and it's 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 the interesting thing is that it really only occurs in kind of certain age bands. Like I never see anyone over the age of sixty with this problem, and I never see really anyone under the age of thirty. So it's kind of right in that middle thirty to sixty year old age grape group that most commonly has it. Occasionally, you see it in some of their twenties, but most commonly thirty to sixty. Rich, how long did you say you're dealing with this? Oh, a couple of months or so. So it, it doesn't change. Like I can go, I can go mountain biking. I can ski. It doesn't bother me. It seems like when I'm really actually doing anything. So, I, so, I, so I'm a dentist, and I sit there and I work with my hands, kind of at a ninety degree angle, and I'm working, and it doesn't bother me at all. And I'm in that position uh, for probably I don't know thirty or forty minutes at a time, or an hour or so. And then all of a sudden, I'll, I'll go to reach for something to like extend my arm, and that lasts like. 15 degrees from almost straight to totally straight, just like killed. So then I have to kind of bend it a few times and then it kind of subsides a little bit. But uh, that last bit to straighten it all the way is what is what just, just drives me nuts. And that, so, that is just yeah, a classic, I mean, classic for this yeah. condition. Huh. Yeah. If, yeah. If you can do your lifting with your arms or arm more bent, you'll have less pain for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that's due to the position of this tendon relative. There's another tendon that extends your wrist called the extensor carpi it's extensor carpi ulnaris long. It's uh, radialis longus, the ECRL instead of the ECRB. And that one typically doesn't get mm-hmm. this problem. That one's more activated when your elbow is more bent. Hmm. So um, that's one yeah. way you can get around it. And it's a reason probably why dentistry doesn't bother you because you're doing it probably with your elbow bent. Hmm. Right. Hey, well, th- thanks, Lauren. I appreciate it. taking a lot of time. Thanks, Lauren. I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try wearing that brace a little bit longer and, 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 and then just uh, be patient for the next... Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, I guess, huh? Hey, uh, before you go, so. Rich, really quick, Dr. Chalmers, at what point, if it doesn't, at what point does he need to take the next step? Well, this is one of those things where you never need to take the next step, but okay. I would tell you, Rich, that if, if it's ever, if you're ever like, I just can't take this anymore, there's a ton of stuff we can do that'll make you feel better. So, um, if you're ever feeling like, God, I just can't live this way, just come in and there's a, there's so many things you can do that really do make this better. Um, you could be seen at the urgent care clinic for this at the, at the, um, you know, at, at our clinic, or you could be seen by any of the shoulder, elbow or non-opera physicians. There's a, all of us are familiar with this condition again, because it's so common and have, have strategies to really make you feel better with it. Rich, thanks right. so much, man. Right. Yeah. Good luck to you. Right. And, and if that comes to that point, sportsmed.uofuhealth.org, it's, uh, the site that you can go see all of our orthopedic surgeons, all of our sports medicine that's sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. And if if you want to just do the walk-in, you could do the injury clinic. That's off of Wakar Way. That's up at the University of Utah. It's every Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. There's a four-window hour in the evening that you can get in there. Um, sorry, a four-hour window that you can get in. And then Friday, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., you can get in and see the doctors at that point without a... Uh, without having an appointment. 855-340-9663. You're listening to Doc Talk, brought to you by University of Utah Health. Give us a call. We'd love to help you out with your injury. Again, that's 855-340-9663. I want you to think about it. What's bothering you? What are you sick of dealing with? 
what you have no idea what's causing the problem, let's see if we can help you. 855-340-9663. We get out to your phone calls next. Dark Talk with Hans Olsen on 97.5 and 1280. The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back. It's Doc Talk on 97.5, 12 of the Zone. And the Zone Sports Network brought to you by University of Utah Health. I love the physicians from University of Utah Health, and we've got one of the best in studio right now, Dr. Chalmers. 855-340-9663. You don't have to wait through a, a line. You don't have to get out your insurance card. We don't take your debit card. You just get to ask your questions over the air, and we try to give you some help and some direction with your injuries. And by the way, these are the best physicians in the state of Utah, working with our Utah Jazz players, working with the University of Utah football teams, gymnastics, basketball teams, and also you have access to them. That's what people don't understand. You know, these high-level physicians that work with the top athletes in the state are accessible to you at one website, and that's sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. Dr. Chalmers, you good if we jump back out of the phone lines? Or Let's do, you, do it. You got some thoughts? All right. Jim, you're up next with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead. Hey, guys. I'm enjoying your show a lot. Oh, great. Um, a question for you about stem cell therapy. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how effective is it? Um, I know there's no guarantees, but I'm wondering about how effective it is and the difference between the source of the cells, whether they're umbilical cord cells or uh, your own, and how they mix that up with uh, you know spinning out your own. Uh, uh, what is that? Kind uh, of your own blood. They're, they're they're getting. Yeah, you're talking about the platelet-rich plasma, which is a growth factor injection. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Look, I, I um. I'll tell you, there's a there's a ton of research going on into this right now, and there's some things you should know about it. The first thing you should know is that there's um, there's actually a a federal drug administration ban on the alteration of stem cells for human use. So, it, within this country, stem cells cannot be altered. You can only take the stem cells out of your body and reinject them. You cannot treat them with any chemicals. You cannot spin them down. You be, or, is that well, what they're doing? Is that what they're doing in countries? Like, is that what they're doing in Germany and some of the countries you're hearing these athletes go uh, to? Other countries, they're doing other things with them. Like in Malaysia, for instance, there's a guy that a lot of people go to where he's doing other things. But in this country, there's no such thing as alteration of stem cells. You you can maybe you can concentrate them, but you cannot you cannot alter them. And this is really important, I think, for for whether or not you think they're going to work. So here's the issue: if you take a stem cell, how does it know what it's supposed to do? So normally in the body there are factors, there are, there are um, transcription factors and there are paracrine factors and there's all sorts of different chemicals that the cells around that stem cell secrete that help that stem cell know what to do, whether it's going to become a skin cell or whether it's going to become a bone cell or whether it's going to become a tendon cell. And if you take those stem cells out of the body and then inject them in wholesale, there's nothing to tell them what to do. There's nothing to direct them because that's the whole beauty of stem cells. It can become anything. So here's the issue. If we don't alter them and tell them what to do, then there's no guarantee that they're going to actually help you when you re-inject them. So this is really, and this is, I think, a critical point to understand. There's no guarantee that when you take stem cells out of the body 
and then re-inject them into your knee to try and treat arthritis, that they won't become cancer, you know? Um, and that's never been shown, and I'm not trying to be alarmist here, but... But you just, just don't know. You don't know what they're going to do because we're not telling them what to do because there's no factors in the arthritic knee that tell stem cells to form new cartilage. So One day we're going to figure that, that out, and it's going to be amazing, but I'll tell you, in this country, we're a long way from there. Isn't that the reason they use uh, umbilical cord stem cells that, for lack of a better verbiage for me, they're indeterminate? I mean, they can turn into muscle, tendon, ligament, cartilage. You can get stem cells that do that from everywhere, though. Like, for instance, in, in the shoulder, which is my specialty, we've shown recently that in the bursa over the rotator cuff, there are mm-hmm. stem cells in that bursa that can become anything. Um, which is crazy to think that right next to that tendon, there's a, a stem cell that wow. could become skin. That doesn't make—it almost, almost seems illogical. Yeah, that's crazy. But, but really, those stem cells have almost as much, um, if not as much, potential to become whatever you, what they would want to be as the stem cells from, from umbilical blood. Um, but those, even those umbilical stem cells have the same issue, that there's nothing to tell them. There's, no, there's not the usual chemical cascade to tell them what exact cells to become in what order to rebuild whatever it is that you're trying to get them to rebuild, whether that's cartilage or tendon or uh, muscle or what have you. Uh, Dr. Chalmers, if I'm overstepping my bounds on this because I lack of knowledge of it, this is stuff that I've read from athletes and, and those types of things. Please tell me. But I, I think one of the more controversial techniques was embryonic stem cells. Right. And I believe that that was shut down in our country. It is. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, was that a type of stem cell that, that had high potential in new growth and regeneration? Well, I, I, I think that's what we're talking about with umbilical blood. It's a very similar concept. It's a very similar population of cells. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You, you would get the same effect from an, an embryonic stem cell as, right. as potentially the right the umbilical Right. Stem cell. Exactly. And, the, um, and, and but so, that, that doesn't mean that there, there won't one day be stem cells that can fix our problems. But I just think that we have a ton more work to do to figure out which factors would you give in what order, how would you time them, and then to get them to do the things you would need them to do. The second thing you mentioned with that platelet-rich plasma, there, I will tell you that there's mixed evidence for that. There is actually evidence for it to be helpful in certain situations. But it's definitely over-applied. I mean, you, if you, if you go, go online, you'll see people using that everywhere for all sorts of different problems. And that's always a good sign in medicine that, that, that we're kind of, we've, we've, we've outstripped our coverage, so to speak, that we've, we're trying to do something without actually having the evidence to support it. Right. Well, I, I went to a place, and uh, they're pretty proud of their work. But they were saying that, uh, I mean, they were using the stem cell and the plasma-rich uh, combination. They were putting them together, and they were saying that they, you could use it for hair restoration, for uh, your knees and shoulders and whatnot, your joints, um, for uh, other personal things, as to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they were. It was like you know, your cure all for uh, you know. From being 60 years old, being 20, you know, restoring you to your youth. It was like the fountain of youth that they were talking about. And it was really pricey. But, and of course, there were no guarantees. They didn't guarantee anything. But they made it sound like, you know, you, you get your knees done and uh, it's almost a permanent type thing. It, it lasts for years and years. Well, I, um, look, I mean, I, I don't want to 
t- tell any other doctor that maybe they maybe they have something that the rest of us don't. But um, I think that one of the things you need to keep in mind here is that definitely that's a that's a for profit enterprise. So it's sure. it's hard to go to that clinic and trust the, their opinion as to whether or not it works when they have such a huge financial potential financial gain if you sign up for it. Sure. You know, and that's I mean that's oh, yeah. that's a little bit like you know, going to the gap and saying, do you guys have good genes? Like, of course they, yeah. they're going to tell you they have great genes. You know, they're not going to be like, actually, our genes aren't very good and you should go to, you know, you should go to J. Crew. They're never going to tell you that. They're going to tell you our genes are the best genes. These are the best genes you've ever seen. They're going to last forever. You could wear, you could wear them in any number of circumstances. They dress up, they dress down. And that's the same thing they're telling you with their stem cells. You can use these for whatever you want. You can use these in your hair and you can use them in your shoulder and your knee and they can fix any problem you might have. Um, and by the way, uh-huh. they cost $8,000. Wow. So, I mean, I think just think... Yeah, well, it's- it's, it started five thousand a joint. Right, right. J- Jim, did you go through with any of the procedures, or you were just checking into it? I was just checking into it. I've heard stuff. Um, I believe Tiger Woods did it. I don't know where he did it. Um, some other athletes have done it. I've heard people going uh, to Switzerland, uh, to Mexico, to wherever, uh, and maybe that's because of the laws here. I thought that if you were using uh, the umbilical cord cells that they, and if you source them correctly, that they were more uh, effective than using your own cells. But what I'm hearing is that's not, not the case. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's not quite that clear. I think that what's clear is probably that neither effect neither are effective in in most conditions given the present day technology. Uh, Doctor Chalmers, is there an indicator that something that is that is actually tested? And approved, and like, what are some of the indicators that you know when you go in and you spend on that treatment, you're going to get the results? Because, like Jim said, they're telling them, well, yeah, but nothing's guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, this is a fundamental problem at the heart of medicine, I think, which is that, um, you know, when you go to the doctor, there's a real information imbalance. You know, you go to the doctor with a problem and you say, I don't really know very much about this. I'm trusting, I'm trusting you to, to give me good advice. And um, you have to think to yourself, what are the, what are the, the personal biases of that doctor? And we in medicine have gotten ourselves into trouble all over the place here. Like, you know, the doctor may have designed a certain implant or a certain technique, and may have a an intellectual or financial conflict of interest that leads them to recommend that technique where it may or may not be indicated. And unfortunately, there is no real current indicator. I mean, that's a real problem. Um, I think you can rely on trusted source of information. Like I think that um, this is a real problem in today's web age, where anything on the news can be f- uh, on the web can be fake. I often recommend patients that they they find trust information on the web and they don't just go to whatever you find on Google because you may not yeah. find reliable information. Certainly, one website I've sometimes used, and I, um, you know, I think the university's got great. Got, has, has a great website, and we have great pages on specific things. If you can't find something on our website, I'll tell you the Mayo Clinic's website is unbelievable. They have, they have pages on any condition you can think mm-hmm. of where there is information compiled by an unbiased source. So that's one thing I've used. Um, but I will tell you that it's, you definitely got to be careful in medicine because you'll find most doctors, I think, are trying to do the best thing for their patients, but I think there are other doctors that are trying to make the most money, and that's a problem. Uh, Jim, I, I just, sorry, you kind of got caught in the crossfire of this conversation. It's a conversation I've wanted to have that's with fine. Dr. Chalmers for a while, but um, it, it's always so controversial because it's not a technique that a lot of, you know, your your top-end orthopedic surgeons and specialists here would, would use. So it, it's a little controversial. You brought up the fact, Jim, that 
there are a lot of top-end athletes that are doing this. And Dr. Chalmers, what I would ask to you is, when you've got millions of dollars right. and you've got a chance, you know, they're, look, they're going to throw cells in there, c- can it have a negative effect? Because I'm just thinking as a professional athlete, if I'm going through an injury and there's other procedures out there that are controversial but can't harm me, well, why not inject that and go through with my treatment and who knows what it is that actually resulted in the recovery. So I definitely think this is true. So there's there's basically no evidence that I'm aware of that stem cells or PRP is harmful, um, which is really important. So that means that if you are like, if you're in a position where you're like, okay, it's not going to hurt, there's a small possibility it might help, and you know, the, the, the college, your college, kid's college is funded, your retirement's funded, you're like, I've got an extra $5,000 sitting around, then it's kind of like, okay, well, what is the downside? That being said, I think that you could probably take that money and spend it better elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but that's not my decision to make. It's not my money. Well, and also I'll tell you that most of these clinics, when they have a high-profile athlete come in the doors, are going to say, hey, we'll do this one right. for you for free. This, we're not going to charge you. But if it works or when it works, just make sure you let people know, right. you know, just in that hopes right. that, that it may work and they may get lucky. But, I mean, Jim, that's my take on it. One thing I would tell you is, if the the surgeons and the people that you know and trust aren't using it, then it's typically an indicator that there's not enough science behind it or there's not enough guarantee behind it to risk that type of money in it. That that that's just my take, and that that's not Dr. Chalmers' opinion. That's not the opinion of University of Utah Health. That's my opinion, um, and and okay. I do I do trust these surgeons enough, and I've been around it enough as a professional athlete. To know that there are no such things right now as a fountain of youth. I, I think that there are things that we can do to control the deterioration of our bodies, but I, I don't believe in these medicines that restore and regenerate, um, especially in the PRP or in the, the uh, stem cell treatments. That's, that's just my opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Jim. Well, Dr. Chalmers, you, meant, you mentioned something about um, there are other things being done in other places. Are you referring to, to any kind of some kind of bioengineering or gene splicing or to reprogram the cells? We're gonna we're we're about to get kind of beyond my area of expertise. I will tell you that there is an in, there is an entire field. It's called tissue engineering. There is an, an entire group, like a huge group of scientists, and billions of dollars are being funding and and people who are spending just eighty hours a week working right now to try and rebuild tissues in the lab. And to do so, it requires all the things I just talked about. You've got to have the stem cells to start. You've got to have all the signals to make the cells do the different things you want. You have to have 3D scaffolds to be able to make them do that within a space that's useful. Um, and we are getting closer and closer with that every year. And you hear snippets of that on the news. You hear, you hear snippets of how they've grown, you know, like a totally normal kidney within a Petri dish or at least a layer of cells that approximates a normal kidney. And I, I will tell you that one day that's going to be great, but we're just we're just not there yet for human use. Hmm. Well, Jim, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Do it again sometime. 855-340-9663. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and get to a couple more thoughts from Dr. Chalmers. Maybe sneak in another call if you've got a question. 855-340-9663. And I want you to remember to stay tuned here to 12 of the Zone for the Movie Zone Austin Horton and Adrian Lizer, they're going to go back and forth about the great movies that are out in the theaters right now. 
And I believe he was talking about, was it A Pet's Life? The Secret Life of Pets 2. Okay, Secret Life of Pets 2. And the, uh, let's say, oh, he did, he already did the one about the Godzilla. Yeah. And then the one about Sir Elton John. Yeah. But there was one other movie that was coming out. Oh, it was uh, Phoenix something. Dark Phoenix, the X-Men movie. Oh. I guess some people out there like that garbage. <laughs> Uh, I will go see a pet's life, though. Is it a pet's life? The life of a pet? Secret life of pets, too. <laughs> I might go see that. That's yeah. the one. Let's be honest. I'm not going to go see that. I, I am going to go to Elton John's movie, though, because Rocket Man. That's the name of it, because I am an Elton John fan. How can you not be? Oh, I'm an Elton John fan. I love his music. I've always loved his music. So uh, make sure you stay tuned. Right after Doc Talk, we are going to have the movie zone up next, 97.5, 12 the zone of the Zone Sports Network. Dark Talk with Hans Olsen on 97.5 and 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back, Doc Talk, 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. I know we got some callers on the line. I know that we are up against it. You know what? Let's sneak one more caller in really quickly with Dr. Peter Chalmers. And we'll see if we can get through this one real quick. And then we'll wrap this up and head you over to the movie zone. Uh, Next caller. Rich, you're up next with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead. Uh, Real quick. I couldn't go downstairs or upstairs without terrible pain in my knees and my hip. I couldn't bench press 10 pounds. I couldn't lift my right shoulder above 90 degrees. I had a a small tear in the shoulder. I went into a a doctor, and they were talking five grand and all this stuff. It was just ridiculous. And then I went into another doctor, and he looked at everything. He says, well, you're about two, three years away from total knees. Anyway, I had PRP in all four places, both knees, hip, and shoulder. And I am now two and a half years out. My hip is starting to be a little sore again, but I became a totally new man. I mean, I'm I'm working. I'm 68 years old. I'm doing stuff that uh, no 68-year-old should be doing. I have no pain in my knees since PRP. And we went back six months later and did x-rays. And you can see the cartilage has thickened. I mean, on the x-ray, there's no fake in it. There is cartilage growth. So he said, yeah, you respond about as well as anybody does. And then there are some people, admittedly, that don't respond. We don't know why. But I don't think you can just throw the baby uh, out here with the bathwater. Well, I'm so glad to hear you had a, a good response. I do. I do think that... The situation you mentioned with kind of early arthritis is actually a situation where there's the most evidence for PRP. And PRP, just to be clear, is different from stem cells, which we were talking about earlier. There's definitely more evidence in support of PRP, but it's pretty unclear whether or not the story you tell, which is awesome, and I'm just so happy to hear, would be the story that most patients would tell in a randomized clinical trial. Um, But that's not really what matters to you. What matters to you is you've had this great response, and that part is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Rich, I, I, 
I, I know Dr. Chalmers and I both hope you the best of luck moving forward uh, with that treatment. You know, it, so it, the, pl- the platelet-rich plasma is actually more verified than the stem cell? Remarkably so, yeah. Although I will tell you that it, that itself is its own field. There's its, it, it, can, it has different preparations. There's different people doing it different ways. It's a whole field we're still struggling to understand, but there are some situations in which it may, it may be helpful, and I'm just so glad to hear that it's helped this patient. Well, what I would tell you is you better do your homework yep. because it's yeah. extremely expensive, and there are no guarantees, and you could be $22,000 in and still need the hip replacement or still need the knee replacement. Uh, my dad was going through a similar situation with his hip. It ended up with a quick cortisone shot. He has had no issues since. That's been about five and a half years ago. So it, there are all kinds of different treatments. Be very aware. Uh, understand what physicians are using or what they're arguing against. Do all your research before you step into a world like that. But if you are dealing with any type of pain, discomfort, you don't know what's going on, U of uhealth.org or sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. Check out our great physicians. Dr. Chalmers, thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again. See you in two weeks back here on Doc Talk 97.5, 12 into the zone.